0: Today's scripture is from Luke 2, verses 1 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Canerius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of Bethlehem, which was called, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was in the house in the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people." Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known to the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. This is the word of the Lord.
1: You may be seated. Thanks be to God. A little girl once opened a big box under the Christmas tree, and she found inside a giant baby doll, and when it was set up right, it actually towered over her. Uh, Her parents noticed a few minutes later that the doll had fallen to the side, but the little girl was having an absolute ball playing with the, the box. Yes. How many of you... Have had a little kid more interested in the box than the gift, absolutely. It turns out it's really easy to do that, not only as kids, but actually as adults too. We are prone to discard the baby because we are having a great time with all the wrappings. And we can really do Christmas and then absolutely miss Christmas at the same time. And so in our few weeks together here, as we lead up to Christmas, we're gonna talk about how to miss Christmas. And we're gonna look at some of the main players in the texts that tell us about the birth of Jesus and find the things there that might pull us away from that Christmas message that God wants us to get. And so today, one way to, to miss Christmas is to get sidetracked. To get sidetracked. And to get at this, we're in Luke chapter 2. That was what was just read to you. It's the classic Christmas story that we might read on Christmas Eve. Anybody have that as a tradition in your family? You read the Christmas story on Christmas Eve? That's a great tradition to start if you're not doing that. Uh, But this is a familiar story, and there are some ideas that if we're just reading on the surface level, we might skip over pretty easily. Um, But there are things that God wants us to see here today. And Luke starts out this way to set, he, by setting the historical context. He says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Caesar Augustus was one of the most important uh, emperors in the history of the Roman Empire. And what Luke starts uh, right away he he launches us in and he tells about two kingdoms two kingdoms the first was the kingdom of augustus Caesar. Augustus was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. Uh, you might recognize that name. And he became the sole ruler of the Roman world after a bloody civil war. Uh, he outlasted all of his rivals. The last to be defeated was a guy named Mark Antony. You might remember that name as well. Uh, it was Caesar Augustus that turned the great Roman... Uh, Republic into an empire with himself at the top. And he did do some great things. He built all kinds of uh, building programs. He, he set up massive uh, systems of uh, government that regulated commerce and trade. And he set up um, a military. He strengthened the military so much during his reign that for his entire reign, the empire of Rome, the entire Empire, was at peace. If you've heard of the Pax Romana, maybe in your history classes, it was Caesar Augustus that was, uh, because of his leadership, the Pax Romana was possible. Uh, it brought peace. And he advanced the culture of the Roman Empire so much that towards the end of his life, he said this, that I found Rome in bricks, but I made it marble. And he was um, one of the best statesmen of his day. Uh, but all that good kind of went to his head. I want you to listen to what Caesar Augustus claimed about himself. He proclaimed that he alone, without any help, brought justice and peace to the whole world. Okay? He declared that his dead adoptive father, Julius Caesar, was in fact divine. He was a god And he was his son. Caesar Augustus was the son of Julius Caesar. And when you start calling your dad a god, then guess what? You get to call yourself a son of God. Does that... Sound familiar to you, Christian people who follow the Son of God? Poets wrote song about, songs about this era of Rome, and historians told the story of Rome's rise to greatness during this time, and all of the climaxes of all the literature was Augustus himself. Um, and here's what they wrote. They said Augustus was the savior of the world. People hailed him as Rome's king and its lord. And because he framed himself this way, over time, especially in the eastern part of his empire, which is key for us today, people began to worship him as a god. They worshiped him as a god so much that he took for himself the title Dominus et Deus. It means lord and God, and this Lord, this Son of God who brought ultimate peace, sends out a decree, right? Caesar's agenda was money, it was taxation, and to collect money from everyone, you need to know who everyone is, and so the decree is for a census. Now, that's really familiar right now. Anybody got your census Turned in, yes, all right, very good. Caesar, nothing's changed, right? Caesar makes this order, everybody jumps, every man to his hometown to register, and Jesus was born into the earthly kingdom of Caesar Augustus in the Roman Empire. That's the first kingdom. But there's another kingdom in the text, and it really can barely be called a kingdom. It hasn't been a kingdom for hundreds of years. As a matter of fact, the last king, of this kingdom was 500 years ago. But Luke mentions it because it plays a huge part in Jesus being the Messiah. Look at verse four. Luke writes, Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, went to Bethlehem, the city of David, because he was of the house and lineage of David. And he went there for the census. Uh, Also, in this very first chapter of Luke, we didn't read it today, but Luke tells of an angel visiting Mary. And he says, uh, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. He goes through the whole thing. Uh, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you'll call him Jesus. He will be great. He'll be called the son of the most high. And catch this. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom There will be no end. And do you see the second kingdom? It is the house of, what's the word? David, David, the house of David. And the geographical center of the kingdom, of the house of David, is this little place called Bethlehem. Um, It means the city of bread and the city of peace. And the prophet Micah had talked about Bethlehem in Micah 5, verse 2. He says, you, Bethlehem, out of you, though you're small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. And even in the Old Testament prophets, they are telling us that the Messiah will be born in this little town called Bethlehem. And that was not uh, really obscure knowledge. We'll get into this next week. But it was absolutely known to the religious leaders of the day where the Messiah would be born. It would be Bethlehem. But here's Joseph and Mary who have been visited by angels. They've been informed in dreams that they'll be the parents of the Messiah. The problem is they aren't from Bethlehem. Joseph is from Nazareth in Galilee. He has absolutely no reason at all to go to Bethlehem, but he ends up there. And it was in this small village on that same eastern frontier where people began to worship Caesar as the son of God. It's in that same place that a baby boy is born. And within a generation, this baby will be hailed as the son of God And his followers will speak of him as Savior and Lord. And I want you to see what Luke is trying to show us here with these two kingdoms. The only reason, historically, why Jesus was born in Bethlehem was because of this powerful ruler, this imperial decree by Caesar Augustus himself, the, disc- the decree of the Dominus et Deus sends Joseph to the city of bread, to Bethlehem, and Luke tells the tale how this emperor in Rome decides to take a census of this whole domain, and how this census brings Jesus to be born in the very town that is linked to King David himself, where the Messiah will be born, and that is no coincidence. Paul writes about it in Galatians chapter four. He explains it this way. He says, but when the fullness of time had come. In other words, when everything, God put to everything together to work in a certain way, then God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under law. And do you see the most powerful emperor in the world who thinks that he's, Giving his own decree, but what he's really doing is acting out of the decree of God himself. The Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem, and when it was God's time, God made it happen. And Caesar Augustus, in the final analysis, is just a pawn in the hands of the Lord God over everything. The most powerful is just a pawn. Luke writes this, that while they were there, it came time for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to his, her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And what Luke is doing for us here is he's introducing the confrontation between kingdoms. The confrontation between kingdoms. The birth of this little boy is the beginning of of a confrontation that will go on from, now, from then on. It still exists. It's the confrontation between the kingdom of God, which looks really weak and really insignificant and really vulnerable, and the kingdoms of the world that always appear strong and mighty and powerful. And those kingdoms are still at odds today. Those kingdoms are at odds in your heart and in my heart. And the easiest way to miss Christmas is to get sidetracked by your own kingdom. To think, you know, I have my own agenda. I'm going to pretend as if I'm God himself. I'm going to pretend that I can bring my own peace. And if we do, then we'll miss it. There are two kingdoms, and the thing that we'll miss is the one king, the one true king. Look at verse 8. Jesus is born in Bethlehem, and nearby shepherds were out in the fields. They're watching their flocks, and it's night. And then in verse 9, the angels appear to these shepherds, and they're afraid, and the angels say, calm down, settle, settle, settle yourselves. We've, we've come with good news, right? And then in verse 11, they say this, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It should be a significant thing to us that when the Messiah is actually born into the world, God chooses not to call a press conference to inform the media. He doesn't pull in the rich and the powerful or the religious leaders. He doesn't pull them together to give them the news and and to help disperse it out to the world. He doesn't tap Caesar on the shoulder and say, hey, would you announce to the world that my son has been born? No, no, no. Instead, he sends his angels to some common shepherds who are out in a field. And if you look through the entire Bible, God has a special place in his heart for shepherds. Shepherds play a prominent role in biblical history. When God appeared in the burning bush to call a leader, to have him bring his people out of Egypt, he chose a man who was living in exile. He was living in the Midianite desert, and he was tending sheep. He was a shepherd, and his name was Moses When Israel became a nation, there was a time when a little shepherd boy who was the least likely to be king was anointed king. His name was David, and he was a shepherd. Even if we go to the age of the prophets, we find a guy like Amos, uh, who was not a man of great stature, and he was uh, a shepherd, and God called him into service. There are lots of prominent people in biblical history where, where God called them from the realm of the culturally insignificant to be his servants. And here it is again. God sends his angel to announce the birth of Messiah, and he sends his angels to common shepherds that are out in the field doing their thing. They, in the grand scheme of things, are insignificant, and it's to these lowly shepherds, that the angels show up and they say, don't be afraid. We bring you good news that will be for all of the people. And what we have here is the first record in the New Testament of somebody preaching the gospel to somebody else. The angels are preaching the gospel to the shepherds. And that's what we should call it, the gospel to the shepherds. Look closely in verses 11 to 12 and you'll see it. They say, for unto you, is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And this gospel is personal. Did you notice the angel says to the shepherds, this savior has been born to you. The angel goes a little further than, oh, this is good news for all the people. No, he says, this is good news for you, specifically you shepherds who are in this field right now. It's for you. And the good news is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone, no matter what field you come from. The gospel is personal, the gospel is also truthful. They say to these shepherds, what has been born to you is a savior. Who is Christ the Lord and Savior implies that they needed saved from something. And they did because they were filled with sin. And we do too. We need saved because we're filled with sin. And God never overlooks sin. Sin is why Jesus is born into the world. The angel said, He will save His people from their sin. And the message to the shepherds and the message to us is you are sinners. That's a truthful message, and you need to be saved. And Jesus has now jumped into the sin that you're drowning in, and salvation, a Savior, is on the way. It's personal, it's truthful. And then finally, this gospel to the shepherds is graceful. They say this We'll give you a sign. It's a baby, and you'll find this baby in all of his babiness lying in a manger there. Here's your sign. That's what they did. The manger was a sign, and the reason that this is a graceful thing, well, I want you to think about it this way. Think about how the Son of God should have been presented to the world and how one might have to approach him I mean, even in this text, we have one kingdom, Caesar Augustus, the pseudo son of God. And I guarantee in that kingdom, no shepherds are getting an audience with Caesar Augustus. No one is allowed to just show up and walk into the presence of Caesar and see him face to face, even the people who are, might be deserving or work with him a lot. And if that's true of Caesar, then wouldn't that be 100 times more true for the one who is the legitimate Son of God, the real Lord and God? Think of how it should have gone. The place. That it should have been in. The palace, the pomp, the circumstance that should have surrounded it all and yet here are shepherds, common and insignificant and they're given an audience and it's the very first audience and when they get there, They don't have to check in. They don't have to make sure that they're on a list. They don't have to walk a red carpet. They don't have to do a series of bows. They don't have to give homage. They don't have to kiss the ring. None of that. There are absolutely no obstacles in the way. In fact, it's just the opposite because there's a manger. And the manger is a feeding trough for animals. And let's just say of shepherds and mangers, they're familiar with one another. And God gives this lowest class of people the easiest way to see the savior of the world. There are absolutely no obstacles. The manger is probably one of the most approachable things ever if you are a shepherd keeping sheep if the angels would have said this, hey, there's a, uh, the Savior has been born in the world and there's this great pyramid. Uh, you can go see him and uh, there's a really big light shining at the top and he'll be up there and uh, you, you can't miss it. When you get there, you'll just have to climb up and, and see the God that made the legs that you used to climb up there, okay? They would have been petrified to make a climb like that. I think we would all be petrified, but, but a manger oh, I've looked into lots of those before. That's not a big deal. That's not scary. We're pretty used to mangers, and so they look into a feeding trough, and they see their Lord and Savior. And what is that? That's grace. That's grace. Jesus, God made flesh, has made God approachable, no matter who you are. There is nothing to climb, to get up to God. God in Jesus has come down to us, to you. That's grace. And so the manger is a sign. Now, we've talked about signs before, and a sign always points to some bigger reality. If you go to, let's say, a national park, maybe it's Yellowstone, uh, you don't go there and take a picture of the sign out front and roll back home. You don't do that. Why? Because the sign is just a pointer to the things beyond it. It's, it's, it's an indication that there's more to see. The real thing is coming, okay? Okay? and the sign just says it points to what is beyond. And so we have to ask of the manger, if it's a sign, what does it point to? And Luke tells us. The manger points to the identity of the Messiah. The shepherds arrive in this place with the ID of the Messiah. It's not one that would fit in a wallet, but they know who the Messiah is. They... How many other babies that are born that night are going to be laid in a manger? And Luke writes, when they entered the place and when they saw it, what is it? It's the manger. When they saw the manger, they absolutely knew. They knew, we're not just in the right place. We found the right person. This baby is the Messiah. And they told Mary and Joseph, about the angel and about the field and about all the angel and the concert that they had come from and they and how they knew who this baby was. This baby is the Messiah and the shepherds ID Jesus without any prior knowledge or any prior meeting. And I want you to put yourself just for a second in the shoes of Mary and Joseph. To this point, it's all been pretty secretive. There have been angels and visits and dreams, and they all happened. And Mary and Joseph came to a point where they believed those things. But man, as time goes on, it would still be really hard not to second guess yourself. Did I really see an angel? Is God really talking to me in dreams? And then when the baby is born, out of the blue, the shepherds come in, and they don't know these shepherds from Adam. They've never met, and they stumble into a place that nobody knows that they're at. And when they see the baby that they've never met lying in a manger, they say, the angels were right, he's in a manger, this kid is the Messiah, And think of the validation for Mary and for Joseph when that happened. Wow, we're not crazy. This is good. (laughs) And Luke's lesson in the manger, he mentions it three times. It's super important in this text. Luke's message is the confirmation of the true kingdom. The confirmation of the true kingdom. There are two kingdoms, but there's only one king And the manger points to the one who is the true king, the king who is willing to come so far down to our level that he would be born and then put into an animal feeding trough. That's the true king. A king like that would probably do anything for us. I mean, if he's willing to do that. And do you see what Luke is doing here at the beginning of his book? He's in the manger, he's setting up the cross. He's telling us what kind of true king we have. The true king of the true kingdom is about sacrifice and suffering for the good of the people in the kingdom. Let's land with this today. Whatever you're looking for this Christmas, you have no chance, zero chance to find it apart from Jesus. Look at verse 14. There's The angels, and they come to the shepherds, and then there's this big angel concert, and they start singing, and the lyric of one of the lines that they say or they they proclaim is this, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, what's the word, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace on earth. That's what the angels come, and they sing about, and it's about a transcendent peace that brings the end of conflict between God and men. When we talk about peace on a human level, we we want peace between people. We want peace in our family. We want peace in our town. We want peace in our society. We want peace in our church. That's what Caesar claimed to bring. Peace between people. But did he really? Did he really bring true peace? No because he wasn't God. He couldn't. Augustus never heard of Jesus of Nazareth. Why? Jesus was clearly there. He was right under Caesar's nose. The shepherds did everything they could to let everybody know that this kid was the Messiah, but he never heard because he was sidetracked by his own kingdom. He played with the box. Caesar did. And he missed the baby. And his kingdom ended. And within a century, his successors in Rome had not only heard of Jesus, but then they were trying to stamp Jesus out. They were taking steps to obliterate his followers. And that, fortunately, did not go well because there's no stopping the kingdom that will never end. The throne of David will never end. The son of the most high will always win out over the self-proclaimed son of a God. And it only took three centuries and the kingdom of Jesus won out. And do you want to know how? Some of you know. One of the successors of Caesar Augustus, an emperor of Rome, didn't allow himself to be sidetracked, but he surrendered and he became a Christian and this baby, this Jesus, his kingdom will have no end. There's two kingdoms. There's still two kingdoms. Oh, we have our own agendas, don't we? And our own kingdom, if we play to that, that will sidetrack us and we'll miss it. We'll miss the true message of Christmas, which is that there's still only one king. And the final thought is that there's zero peace apart from the true king. Zero peace. So, this year, when you see a manger on a Christmas card, or when we sing about the manger here at the church, away in a manger, no crib for a bed, or in a couple weeks when the kids are up here and there's probably going to be a manger with Joseph and Mary, right? When you see that manger, don't stop at the manger see what it's pointing to. It's a sign. And it's pointing to the explosive truth that the baby inside the manger is already being spoken of as the true king of the world. And until you align your kingdom with his kingdom, the kingdom of the true king, then there's zero chance that you find peace. Don't miss that this Christmas. Father, You know um, that we are thankful to know this king. We are thankful that as we read Luke chapter 2 that we see that even shepherds are invited. The crib points us to everything we need. The manger points us to everything we get to share. And there are no obstacles at all in coming to Christ. Will you help us today to look into the manger and to see the true king and to align our personal kingdoms with his. Help us to again declare today Jesus is king. And it's in the name of that king whose kingdom will have no end that we pray. Everybody said, amen. Would you stand? We're going to close in some worship today. Maybe you have never knelt before that true king. Maybe you need to make his kingdom your kingdom today. Maybe you need to align your kingdom with his. Um, We'll be here if you need to make that decision or if you'd like to talk about it as we sing today. You come